episode 39 of The Virtual Couch. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultramarathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. So if you or somebody that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And if you have questions, if you have uh, suggestions for the show, you can still continue to send those to contact at pathbackrecovery.com. And once again, this episode is brought to you by Bloom for Women. Bloom offers online programs, expert help, and a very empathetic community to help women heal and strengthen and grow past the trauma of infidelity and betrayal, whether it's betrayal from a spouse who has pornography or sex addiction or from the emotional betrayal of an affair. Um, and I will just continue to to plug Bloom for Women. It's bloomforwomen.com. Uh, with every episode, every week, I hear more and more good things about people who are um, recognizing that they they have suffered from the effects of what is called betrayal trauma. And I uh, mentioned early on, I, I completed a, a fairly intensive, um, I believe, 18-week training on betrayal trauma and learned so much. As I work with a lot of the people who uh, do the betraying, that, uh, but those are the effects of what it has on the person who, who has been betrayed. And there is so much data at bloomforwomen.com. And uh, they, if you go to bloomforwomen.com, they have a free one-week trial of their site. But if you enter coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, when you sign up, you get a free month. Um, so that week is extended to a month that you can check out all of their evidence-based programs and explore this community, all designed to help heal and recover from betrayal trauma. And uh, before we get to the, the topic today, um, just again, a mention that this episode is brought to you by the fine folks at Eli's Extracts. Eli's makes all-natural organic shave cream that is scented with the healing, wonderfully delicious smells of essential oils. So head over to Eli's, E-L-I-S-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S.com and use coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, for 25% off your entire order of their all-natural organic shave cream scented with essential oils. Um, if you like the podcast, please take a moment and uh, review or rate or share or like and that just goes to uh, to help me have a little more juice when when getting guests and uh, just taking this podcast um, in a lot of directions that I never thought it would go. Had some really amazing guests on already, especially in the last two to three weeks and plenty more that are lined up. But today I wanted to, I haven't done a solo podcast in a couple of weeks and there's been something that I wanted to address for a while and today's topic is on power. And this one was kind of motivated a bit by that episode I did on imposter syndrome. That one kind of rung true to um, more people than I anticipated. I hear about that one in my sessions and kind of just out and about more that people who struggle with this imposter syndrome where, you know, whether we're trying to overcome a negative habit, whether we're trying to become better parents or better in a relationship or just trying to do our job better, um, try to go after a promotion, that this imposter syndrome creeps up often telling us that, you know, they're going to find you out that you're not really the person that can do the job. You're not the person who can change. And, and you know, please uh, seek help for um, calming those that negative self-talk, those stories that you've told yourself 
based on stuff that has gone on in the past or just really based on uh, some irrational, automatic negative thoughts because that is getting in the way of so many people from moving forward and kind of accomplishing and achieving their dreams. But so that one also got me thinking a little bit about, you know, um, imposter syndrome. One of those things that happens are, is that people are afraid to talk to people in power. And I see it in my in my therapy a lot, whether it's people who go into a doctor's office and they panic and they feel like they can't speak up for themselves, who they feel like um, even though it's their body and their care that they, they, you know, well, this is the doctor. I'm intimidated by the doctor. This doctor has power. Or And I still remember the first few times as a brand new shiny therapist working with, you know, my first uh, couple of attorney clients or, or my doctor clients or the first time I, I worked with somebody that was uh, kind of a prominent figure in the area and kind of feeling like, man, this, this person has power. This person has some juice. You know, what can I do to help this person? And then you find out that, uh, surprise, the person is a person and the person has insecurities and hopes and dreams and failures and automatic negative self-talk and all that sort of thing. But yet we kind of go on this thing where we put people up on a pedestal and in the process of doing that, we are often then putting ourselves down. Um, there's a buddy of mine and, and I was t- telling him that I wanted to do this episode and, uh, and it was because we've talked a lot about this concept and, um, you know, he does extremely well financially, but he doesn't dress the part. Um, he doesn't drive the fancy car. And so, and because of the job that he does, which he does extremely well, um, but when people find out what the job is, they kind of go, oh, okay, you just do that thing. Um, and he talked about how often then when he's talking with somebody and they, they, they are a doctor or they, uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to jam on doctors, uh, but I think a lot of people are so intimidated by, you know, this person is a doctor. They've been to medical school. They must be so much smarter than me. I, I would never be able to talk to them, that sort of thing. But um, but back to the story about my buddy. He starts doing this um, experiment. He did it at a at a reunion. I think it was a high school reunion at one point, where he does sit around and there's a lot of people that are talking about their careers and their impressive careers and maybe their cars or their watches or their these things, these kind of things that say, "Hey, I have power." And then people look at them and and think, "Man, I those people must be doing really well." Well, this guy in particular has climbed Mount Everest, um, so that one's not 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 bad, uh, not a bad feather in his cap, right? And so he doesn't get a lot of attention, and then he kind of uh, works into a conversation at times, just a little conversation about, you know, casually mentioning that uh, when he was um, climbing Everest or what that experience was like. And all of a sudden, it's like all, you know, people turn and, and they're like, oh, you climb Mount Everest? And then now all of a sudden, he's, he's important <clears throat> because he has, he has this power, um, this kind of social cachet, this power that then elevates him above other people, or at least that's the impression that some give him. And now, now they're, they want to be his friend. Uh, now he can be introduced as, you know, oh, this is my friend who climbed Mount Everest. Uh, I had another, another friend um, who was telling me about a time when he was in the military, and he was on this particular assignment, and he noticed that if something wasn't changed, that it could have some pretty pretty bad um, negative impacts uh, without going into too much detail. And there was a superior officer that said, you know, he got really angry, and he was telling my friend, uh, you don't correct me. You know, you just don't do that. And, and the person, my friend, was saying, but what if you're wrong? And he, and he says, you know, I want this guy written up. And then, you know, at that point, he's like, well... Was he wrong? And, and the, the officer said, no, he's not, but you don't correct me. And man, what a paradox, right? What a, what a power imbalance. Um, so, and that's why I'm so impressed by, uh, I mean, there's so many jobs that I'm impressed by, but the one that always comes to mind, I still remember 
when I first started um, hanging out more with some friends who were teachers and when, you know, I almost felt like they would put off kind of a vibe at times of, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just a teacher. And I would think, man, you know, I, and I, at that time I was still in the computer software world. This was before my career changed to kind of follow my passion of therapy. And I remember thinking, okay, but you're like, you're in there changing lives. You know, you locked into this career where you can make a difference and there's some some freedom there. Yeah, there's a whole lot of work and pressure, and but, you know, definitely not just the teacher uh, to me. And, and so I just, at times, I think it is that we put ourselves in this position of where we fit in this social pecking order and whether it's by the car we drive or whether by the money that we make. And, and maybe it's because of the position that I have as a therapist where, you know, I've worked with people who have tens of millions of dollars and guess what? They're not happy. Um, I've worked with professional athletes. I've worked with people on the news. I've worked with politicians. I've worked with uh, countless numbers of very professional, very, you know, successful people who who don't elevate themselves above others, but it oftentimes do feel somewhat isolated. And at times, even if they now want to go talk to uh, someone who isn't in their social sphere or status, uh, they notice that these that sometimes people don't uh, even give them the benefit of the doubt. So it almost is this self fulfilling prophecy where you know people if they're if they're elevating somebody above them, um, do they give them the benefit of a doubt? So if it's somebody who who maybe has a job that doesn't make as much as uh, let's say a, a very successful attorney, is that person not even giving themselves the chance to talk to this person, this the person that they feel is elevated above them? But but probably more often the case is that that person who feels elevated. Who who is driving the fancy car? You know, maybe it has the nose in the air, holds their pinky out uh, when they drink things. I don't know if that's a sign of uh, power. Uh, maybe not. Maybe that's just some some movies I watched back back when I was a kid. But you know, are those people then saying, "Well, I can't," you know, "I can't mingle with the commoners," and so kind of also continuing this uh, this power imbalance. Um, there's a thing that I like to do. My, my kids get annoyed about it at times, but there, I love talking to people when we're just out and about. Maybe it is the therapist in me, but if it's my waiter or waitress or it's my cashier, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm maybe that annoying guy who wants to say, you know, hey, tell me the tell me the best thing about your job. Tell me the most frustrating thing about your job. Have you had any uh, crazy um, people at your table today or anybody? What, what's the funniest thing that you've had come through your line today or what's the biggest transaction? And at times my kids leave and say, hey, dad, can we just kind of get in and out of the store today? Can you like maybe not chat the cashier up? And uh, but, but, you know, I love just kind of I love hearing. I mean, I love knowing what people's experiences are. But you also notice that that's something that can kind of give somebody a little bit of juice uh, themselves when they feel that somebody cares, that somebody is paying attention and that what they're doing matters. And so I think that that's uh, in the vein of just goodwill. That's something that we can kind of do. Um, anywhere that we're at when we kind of engage and connect with people. So I'm going to, for a little bit here, I want to refer to, there's a great um, article and it's several years old now, but I bookmarked this long time ago. And I, and this is when I thought about doing this podcast. It's called the, it's an article in Wired Magazine called The Psychology of Power. And it's uh, written by a guy named Jonah Lehrer. And, uh, and, I, and apparently at that time, a CEO had just resigned, basically maybe been forced to resign from a big technology company. And he starts the article off by talking about, you know, this is apparently the CEO was a very clean cut 
well-spoken person, and this was had to do with some ethics violations. And so um, the author says that this is you know the public shouldn't be so shocked. And he talked about how whether it's you know corruption allegations, prostitution scandals, um, all of these kind of charges against corporate executives, world class at world class athletes, and we, I think we can add today politicians. It seems like the headlines are filled with the latest missteps of somebody who is in a position of power. And um, he went on to talk about that there are some surveys of organizations. They find that the vast majority of rude and inappropriate behaviors, such as everything from shouting profanities and, and kind of bullying tactics, come from the offices of those with the most authority. So psychologists refer to this as it's called the paradox of power. Because the very traits that actually lead somebody to typically accumulate this power or control in the first place at times all but kind of disappear once somebody gets in this position of power. So instead of being polite and honest and outgoing and empathetic and you know chatting people up and, and kissing babies and that sort of thing, when they get to this position of power, it, at some point then it kind of infects them in a negative way and they become reckless or rude or impulsive. And so and, and then sometimes that behavior is even rewarded because at times then that can lead to more profits or you know the leaders then viewed as more decisive or single-minded or or they're going to make choice no they're going to make the hard choices. But that paradox of power talks about how the the very traits that got them in that position are now somewhat thrown out the window when they get in that position. So here's why I love this uh, the, this article, The Psychology of Power by Jonah Lair. He, he gives some great studies. He says, okay, so we've got that to kind of set the tone. And we're seeing a lot of that today. I know, you know, I know that we are. I think that in the Olympics, I just uh, you know, saw something about doping and curling. And I think that, uh, I don't know, you can insert your own joke there. I was watching curling actually while I was at the gym today. And uh, not sure how the doping actually is going to help the curler, but uh, maybe I need to read a little bit more on that. But so we do have good news, though. So he says a few years ago, and of course, it's going to be a name that is not not one. I'm probably going to butcher this, but uh, Dasher Keltner, who is a psychologist at the University of California, Berkeley, began interviewing freshmen at a large dorm on the Berkeley campus. He gave them free pizza and a survey, which asked them to provide their first impressions of every other student in the dorm. So Mr. Keltner returned at the end of the school year with the same survey and more pizza. And according to the survey, the students at the top of this social hierarchy, the ones that they were viewed the most powerful and respected, were also the most considerate and outgoing. And so they're the ones that scored the highest on the measures of agreeableness and extroversion. So in other words... And I literally had this conversation with somebody yesterday who they just, you know, were giving me the, hey, nice guys don't finish first. Well, in this uh, in this study, nice guys did, in fact, finish first. And this result wasn't unique just to Berkeley undergrads. So there are other studies that have kind of found other results in the military or corporations or politics that people do tend to give authority to people that they genuinely like. So then we go back to that paradox of power, which is where then what do people do once they get that power, right? So, of course, these um, these findings, this nice guys finish first kind of contradict that whole cliche of power, which is that people believe the only way to rise to the top is engage in self-serving and morally dubious behavior. And, and that's the part where, you know, even back when I was in the software industry, when I kind of got out and, and branched out on my own, started my own computer hardware company, um, boy, I think on my initial website or LinkedIn profile or something, I really talked about how I just wanted to free myself from just just kind of, uh, you know, that business is business mentality that all is fair in business because I don't think it is. I mean, I, you know, I feel like that's uh, that's an excuse. It's kind of more of a manipulative behavior. So. 
Um, so there is. So this is what's kind of fascinating. There's, uh, and, and I don't know if you ever heard of Machiavelli. You know, there are Machiavellian principles, Machiavellian tendencies. So um, in this, uh, it's this. It's called the Prince, and so it's this treaty on the art of politics. The, the 16th century Italian philosopher Niccolo Machiavelli insisted that compassion completely got in the way of a rise to power. So he said that if a leader had to choose between being feared or loved, Machiavelli insisted the leader should always go with fear. And he said that love is overrated. And <clears throat> it frightens me that I think that to this day, that that's some of the principles, these Machiavellian, Machiavellian principles are what have kind of continued that lead to this um, paradox of power. So, I, you know, I think it's obvious to say, and I, excuse me, my, I have something in my throat. <clears> throat> Um, that is not the best advice. So another study conducted by the same Mr. Keltner and a guy named Cameron Anderson, who was a professor at the Haas School of Business, they, so they tried to measure this Machiavellian tendency, such as the willingness to spread malicious gossip, and they did this you know, in a group of sorority sisters. So it turned out that the Machiavellian, Machiavellian sorority members, they were quickly identified. They were, they were known by the group and they were isolated, and for the most part, people did not care for them. And so guess what? They did not rise to power. So there's good things about that kind of research, right? It's nice to think that the best way to accumulate power is the golden rule, do unto others as you would have done unto you. And so, and there's even uh, in this article, um, The Psychology of Power, uh, Jonah goes on and talks about even how this was observed in primates as well, not just the big biggest primate, but the one who was able to kind of forge these social connections. I thought that was pretty fascinating. But now, here is the bad news. This is that paradox of power. So the bad news is what what happens when these nice guys actually get in power. So while a little bit of that compassion kind of helps us climb the social ladder, uh, once people get to the top, they end up kind of morphing into something that they didn't necessarily plan on becoming. Mr. Keltner says it's an incredibly consistent effect. He says when you give people power, they basically start acting like fools. Uh, they flirt inappropriately, they tease in a hostile fashion, and they become totally impulsive. I, one, of my, uh, one of my best friends in the world um, became a, uh, a leader of his, uh, this religious congregation, a bishop in, uh, at his church, and, and I was one of his counselors. I was one of his helpers. And I just remember we had a good enough relationship that he would tell a joke that was not that funny, but everybody around him just laughed and laughed, and he would walk away and, and just loved the first time he's like, yeah, if I wasn't a bishop, that joke doesn't get any laughs, right? So, I mean, and that is the, I mean, that's where people start to get this power kind of goes to their head. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it went to his head. He stayed very grounded, which was nice. But this Mr. Keltner compares the feelings of power to get this brain damage. He said, noting that people, and actually right there, you can, I mean, I don't know, your mind can kind of go crazy with what happens, you know, think of people that you, you recognize in power right now. He said that uh, noting that people with lots of authority tend to behave like neurological patients with damaged orbital frontal lobes, a brain area that's crucial for empathy and decision-making. So even the most virtuous people can kind of be become undone, as Mr. Keltner said, by this corner office. So why? The big question then is why do people then tend to flirt with interns and solicit bribes and and uh, look the other way on financial documents and that sort of thing just because now they have power, this paradox of power. It wasn't what got them there in the first place. So according to psychologists, one of the main problems with authority is it does make us less sympathetic to the concerns and emotions of others. So there are a lot of studies that show or they have found that people in positions of authority are more likely to then rely on just these general stereotypes and generalizations when judging other people. It's like they don't take the time now to use, again, those skills that got them to where they were, those skills of empathy and understanding and awareness and, and uh, getting out there on the campaign trail, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, that sort of thing. 
But I thought this was interesting too. Um, this is what uh, Jonah Lair reported. He said that um, in his in his research, he found that um, people once they get in power also spend much less time making eye contact. At least when a person is without power, is talking to them. So the person in power doesn't make eye contact. And I can only think of. Um, I love I love sports. I love uh, I love uh, basketball in particular, professional basketball. And I when I watch a professional basketball player interviewed, I'm always trying to watch for you know the one that will look at the person interviewing them. And I feel like that's the person who is you know just appreciates you know the moment or where they're at that sort of thing. Typically, you're looking in the and maybe it's because the all the, the professional basketball players are so much taller than people interviewing them. But kind of just looking around, just you know kind of giving the pat answers and not making eye contact. And uh, you know so is that one of those situations where with that power um, now is that a stereotype of that's just a reporter it doesn't really matter who that person is that's just a reporter so not even going to make eye contact with them they're just kind of here to, to I just want to get past what they're doing so um, here's a, another study that uh, that uh, Jonah Lehrer referenced in this um, psychology of power he said consider a recent study led by Adam Galinsky who was a psychologist at Northwestern University Mr. Galinsky and his colleagues began by asking subjects to either describe an experience in which they had a lot of power or a time when they felt utterly powerless. So this one, this one kind of fascinates me. The psychologist then asked the subjects to draw the letter E on their foreheads. So those that, that were already primed with feelings of power were much more likely to draw the letter backwards, at least when seen by the other person. So this Mr. Galinsky argued that this effect is triggered by this kind of this myopia or narrow vision of power, which makes it much harder to imagine the world from the perspective of someone else. So he says that we draw the letter backwards because we don't care about the viewpoint of others. Um, and at its worst, then, Lehrer kind of talks about how power can turn us into hypocrites. So there was a 2009 study where this, this Mr. Glinsky asked subjects to think about either, um, you know, uh, again, back to this experience of either where they felt power or powerlessness, you know, less power. The students were divided into these two groups, and the first group was now told to rate on a nine-point scale the moral seriousness of misrepresenting or misreporting travel expenses at work. The second group was asked to participate in a game of dice in which the results of the dice determined the number of lottery tickets that each student received and a higher roll of the dice led to more tickets. So here we go. Participants that were in the high power group considered the misreporting of travel expenses to be a significantly worse offense. However, the game of dice produced a completely contradictory result. In this instance, people with the high power group reported on average a statistically improbable result with an average dice score that was 20% above that which was expected by random chance. So the powerless group, though, in contrast, reported only slightly elevated dice results. So what this suggests is that they were lying about their actual scores. They were fudging the numbers to get a few extra tickets. So so they were okay with you know saying, I'm putting my foot down with the misrepresenting the travel expenses, that uh, that's something that we you know we cannot do um but if we're going to roll dice you know what's the big deal forget i can fudge the numbers a little bit and get a few more um, lottery tickets so so there is this the the high power group the people that feel like they have power um they they kind of then what what that's kind of alluding to is that people kind of then start to make their own rules so it's not those rules aren't consistent that hey why why is it that it's okay to to you know fudge the numbers on these dice that you're going to get more lottery tickets, but uh, but you need to um, be truthful with these travel expenses. When the powerless group basically had the same belief system that went across both experiments, so you know, and that's going. I mean, that's even saying. I mean, most people know the right thing to do, but uh, their sense of power kind of makes it easier for them to rationalize uh, this ethical lapse. 
So, um, so what do we do with this information, right? There's some, there's some other things that kind of talk about the types of power. Um, there's a, there's a, a view that all human relationships truly are based on power. And, uh, and with this concept that the more power you have, the more things you can do. But, uh, and who, who said this one with great power comes great responsibility, right? And, and this is where I've talked in the past a little bit too about, you know, now we even kind of look at what is your goal of power. If, if, if power, and sometimes power can be just a very overarching statement, but if you want to get more power so you have a bigger platform to do what you feel um, you were born to do, you were called to do, if you, if you want to share gifts or talents to try and help, help people become better people, then is that a bad use of power? What we have to watch out for, though, is that paradox of power where once people get to the top, then what do they do with that power, Right. So if we go back to that, so all human relationships are based on power. Um, typically, that takes on one of two forms. There's influence, which is the ability to encourage somebody to do what you suggest. And then there's compulsion, which is the ability to force somebody to do what you command. So now we go back to these studies, the nice guy first part. And obviously, where, where we're trying to, what we're trying to steer toward is that um, influence is going to be much more effective than compulsion. So, you know, the most direct way to kind of increase power then under this paradigm is to increase your, your influence and, and to do so, use those same traits, um, this, this kind of reputation that you build on the way, on this rise to power. If power is, you know, if your goal of power was good, if power, your goal of power was to connect with more people um, and then avoiding this paradox, this um, paradox of power. So in most cases, um, you know, this personality structure, people who actively and persistently seek to power through dis- destructive means, I mean, normally there's some sort of psychological disturbance that's going on underneath that. I mean, whether it's, and here's where it gets kind of deep, in my opinion, where that, you know, does that, is that about problems with anger? Is it personality disorders? Is it narcissism, uh, vanity, you know, um, you know, sociopathic tendencies, that sort of thing, that people who tend to, tend to utilize this like kind of overt negative power, um, I, you know, I believe most are generally compensating for some sort of like insecurities or, and whether it's real or perceived inadequacies. And so they are going to force their will. They, you know, they don't, they don't trust that they can be genuine, authentic, nice, vulnerable, um, and, and believe that that will kind of, whether it's going to get them to the place where they want to be in life. But, but it sounds like for sure this, this paradox of power, they don't believe that it will keep them in that place of power. So, you know, there's uh, so then at that point, I mean, sometimes I want to say I just kind of want to ask my clients, you know, what type of power are you are you using in your life? Are you are you whether you're a parent, whether you're in a couple's relationship, is this a is the power of influence? Are you trying to encourage someone? And if so, please go listen to episode 26 on EFT. Um, I don't know the others offhand, but I did one with uh, Pastor Chris Young at uh, the Summit Church where we talked about EFT. Um, episode 25, where we're talking about the nurtured heart approach. So that's why I believe in those principles so much. The EFT is the, I'm not going to fix and judge everything. I'm going to, I want to hear what people have to say. I want to go all in on awareness. I want people to feel like they can come to me and open up to me and talk to me. And then you bet I can share my opinions, but it's not going to be so in a way that is fixing and judgmental. So again, what type of power? If you are looking to influence people, influence your partner, influence your kids, influence those at work, influence for good, we've got some nice statistical data studies that show that that is done by being polite, 
honest, outgoing, empathetic, um, and then and then continuing with those things that you know to be right and true. Those are part of your core beliefs and values and goals. And, and just keeping yourself in check and watching out for what happens if you do get in this place of power. Um, so if you are motivating by fear, if you are, you know, this compulsion, this compulsive version of power, which is this desire to force somebody to do what you command, um, that's what needs to be checked. And, and, and where does that come from in an individual? Again, does it kind of go with some sort of problems with anger? Is it insecurities? Is it narcissism? Is it vanity? Um, but that's the people we need to watch out for. So I hope that we're kind of pulling a few things here at the end. So one of those is if you are someone, a nice guy, then I want, I hope you heard that part where you can finish first. Um, it is, it is possible. And more important, you know what, even if you're not finishing first, stay true to those core values, core beliefs, um, and those goals that you have, because this kind of where it goes back to some of the things that I used to talk about, I talked about early in the podcast where, so if, if a thought, if someone else is, uh, what their comments to you, um, if those things aren't, uh, if they aren't part of those goals and, and values and, uh, just your character makeup, if those don't go along with that narrative, then those are not productive. When you're hearing these things coming at you, move them on through. Use some nice mindfulness skills. You know, you don't have to um, do something that you don't want to do. You don't have to react in this negative way. Uh, you know, I, I, it brings to mind a story. I may have already told this one, but there was a pretty big epiphany for me when I kind of realized that people can give me their opinion and I can listen and I can just say thank you. Um, I don't have to defend if, if I don't feel like that's important, um, if I don't feel like that's going to be productive. I tell this kind of ridiculous story, I think, at times, but where it really uh, it hit me and I was, on a, I, was, I was doing a race. The race was called Quad Dipsy, and it's a 29-point-something mile race. It's down in the Marin Headlands, and it's uh, full of just each, each, each one of these Dipsy Trail. The Dipsy Trail is, I think, 7.1 miles or something to that effect. And it has just thousands of steps. And, you know, it's constantly up and down. It's very old um, trail race. And after the Dipsy race had been run a few years, then the people put together a double Dipsy. So you you went down and back. So it was 14.2 miles and double the amount of stairs. And then the ultra running community got a hold of this and now made the quad Dipsy. So down and back, down and back. So uh, thousands and thousands of stairs and this this just uh, brutal trail. But what gorgeous scenery. So I ran that several times. It's the, It's usually the Saturday after Thanksgiving. It's right around my birthday. And so I'm running this a couple of years ago, and it's just pouring. Well, it wasn't pouring rain. It had been pouring rain. At the time that the race started, there was just a light, a light drizzle. Now, I know 29.4 miles on muddy trails on a day where it's kind of raining, I'm going to get wet. You know, No surprise there. My feet are going to get wet. I, I thankfully don't have a lot of problems with wet feet during these uh, ultra marathons. But still, um, early on in the race, and I kind of leap over a puddle. And there was a guy beside me, kind of an older guy. And he literally yells at me, you know, go ahead, get your feet wet, you know. And I remember I wanted to respond. I wanted to react. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of mindfulness exercises at that point, And I just kind of realized, hey, he can, he can have his opinion. That's fine. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to say, hey, I'm trying to keep my feet dry. Because then he would say, well, you're not going to. And there's nothing productive about that. So I just uh, kind of told him to, I, I think, have, have a great run or something like that. Yeah, eventually later on in the day, you bet my feet were soaking wet. But I just loved what that represented, uh, that, that we don't have to let that um, someone else's, uh, that, you know, their compulsion, the ability to force somebody what they're trying to do to do what they command, 
does not need to rule how we react to situations. Um, so, so as we kind of wrap things up, I would love to, again, nice guys can finish first. If you are in a relationship where you are being, um, this, you know, this compulsion, this, this someone is trying to, to force the ability to, to have you do what they want you to do, that that is not an effective way of change. That is not a productive or effective use of power. Um, so, you know, get out of those situations, go talk to somebody about those situations or learn how to kind of stand for what you believe. And, and if that's using power as influence, the ability to encourage um, and knowing that that's part of who you are, then double down on that skill, on empathy, on awareness, on doing your mindfulness practices, on staying grounded so that you don't feel like you have to react in those situations. So uh, I think that's about all I have today. I appreciate you kind of hanging in here for this discussion on power. Um, hopefully now the next time you go see someone that you feel is in a position of power, you can still interact with them. Or if you are that person that you feel is uh, people view you as in this high uh, high place, then please um, be genuine. And, uh, and you know, the more we can kind of just break down those stereotypes of class and, and uh, those kind of barriers, the better off we're all going to be. All right. Um, so thank you for spending this time with me on the virtual couch. And uh, until next time, I will now turn it away to the ever talented Aurora Florence with her song, It's Wonderful. Compressed emotions flying past, our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most It's wonderful